The Courage to Lead, episode 64. You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast. Brought to you by IB4E Coaching, business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com. Hey, Coach Arlen here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having a great week. Um, I'm having a great week and I'm excited about my guest today. Please help me welcome Susan Steinbrecher. Susan is an internationally acclaimed executive coach, speaker, and author. She's president and CEO of Steinbrecher & Associates, a management consulting firm that provides professional development services in the areas of executive coaching, group facilitation, and leadership training. Susan works with senior executives and their organizations to develop and implement innovative and profit-building solutions to address the challenges of leadership, operations, human resources, and training. The company recently launched Meaningful Alignment, a program committed to healing the social divide, one conversation at a time. Meaningful Alignment provides the tools and training to handle high-stakes interactions when emotions run high and viewpoints differ. Susan's expertise has positively impacted companies worldwide, including Aaron's, ABC Companies, Bank of America, Bell Helicopter, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Tennessee, BP, Capital One, Delta Airlines, Disney Worldwide Services, and many, many more. Um, Susan is co-author of Heart-Centered Leadership, Lead Well, Live Well, and Roadmap to Success. She's also the author of Amazon bestseller, Ken Show, A Modern Awakening, instigating change in an era of global renewal. Prior to founding Steinbrecher and Associates in 1992, Susan was rising star with one of the country's best known hotel chains for 14 years. She went from entry level to the chain's youngest general manager in history to leading the strategic training and development initiatives. Susan, welcome to the show. Thank you. My pleasure to be with you, Harlan. Awesome. You have done so much. And I mean, I, I don't even know exactly where to start. We will get into everything start how, you know, where you started with the, uh, the hotel chain, how you got into this. And then we're going to talk about your books and definitely want to learn more about meaningful alignment. All right. Um, sounds good to me. <laughs> but before we get started, I have a series of questions that I like to ask all of my guests. Uh, these are the questions made famous on the television show inside the actor's studio where host James Lipton asks these questions of the Hollywood stars, film stars, uh, stage stars. And I figure if they're good enough for the Hollywood elite, they're certainly good enough for my clients. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. Let me ask you these questions. So first, question number one, what is your favorite word? Uh, love. What is your least favorite word? Mm. Trash. <laughs> I had to think about that a minute. <laughs> what turns you on? Uh, seeing light bulbs go off in other people. I think that's, that's really my purpose in life is to help people be the best they can possibly be personally and professionally. So when I see the light bulbs go off, I'm highly motivated. I'm inspired. Awesome. Very cool. Uh, what turns you off? Um, laziness and victim mentality. Yes. Um, question five, what sound or noise do you love? What sound? What? I'm sorry. Sound or noise do you love? Do I love uh, music? Um, probably. I love all kinds of music, but especially on instrumental. Very cool. And what sound or noise do you hate? Um, a high pitched squeal, <laughs> you know, something that's really high pitched will uh, like really hurt the ears. <laughs> Absolutely. 
And what is your favorite curse word? Um, well, it sounds like duck. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Uh, I have a passion for interior design and decorating. And um, that's kind of a hobby, unfortunately, because <laughs> that can be expensive. But I would, I would, if I didn't do this, I would do that. <laughs> Excellent. Very cool. Um, what profession would you not like to do? Uh, probably anything that is heavy physical labor. Okay. <laughs> what really comes to mind particularly because I built a house is uh, almost every craft, every craftsman or trade that I saw, but in particular, the roofers. Yes. I thought, how do yes. you do this? Absolutely. That's why you, you make the big box and they do. <laughs> and rightfully so. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. And finally, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? You finally got here. Finally got here. Good job. <laughs> All right. So we're going to come back. We're going to talk about uh, how you got started how you launched into Soundbreaker and Associates and talk about some of your books. All right. Sounds great. Talk about that right after this. So stick with us. Imagine having a trusted group of CEOs at your disposal. Imagine having your very own peer advisory team who could work you through the problems and questions in your business before you had to make those difficult decisions. Imagine you had a group of advisors that had your back and met for the sole purpose of making you successful in your business. What would you be able to accomplish then? Well, you don't have to imagine anymore. You can have that and more when you join my Business Success Mastermind Group. Join my Business Success Mastermind Group today. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. And we're back with my guest, Susan Steinberg. Susan, thank you again for being a guest um, on the show. Really appreciate it. So you were one of the, or the youngest general manager in the history of that particular chain? Yeah, so that particular chain. So um, it was Embassy Suite Hotels, which at the time was part of Holiday Corporation, now part of Hilton. And to, to make things really full circle back, I end up doing a lot of training for Embassy, the global head of Embassy Suites I coached. I mean, so I took a full transition all the way around Absolutely. the path, if you will, um, and ended up in a whole different perspective or view, if you will, of Embassy Suites because of that opportunity. So it was great. Very cool. Yeah. And people don't, don't realize when, when you go independent, a lot of times your first client is the business you just got done working for. Often, right? yes. A lot of people will quit their jobs, but they were so good at what they did that the business says, hey, could you kind of help us out a little bit? And absolutely yeah, your first case. Luckily. Very cool. <laughs> Very cool. So you worked your way up into that level. How many people did you have working for you at that point? Um, a hundred. So I was 25 years old. I was managing a $45 million asset. I had a hundred employees and um, was clearly promoted too soon. <laughs> so the good, I mean, that's just the honest truth of it. Um, I had a very fast track coming right out of high school um, in the hospitality industry. And then when I got to the assistant general manager position, I felt like I've got this. It's one more step. How hard could this be? And then I step in and realize, oh my gosh, I am completely overwhelmed. I drowned for about a year and then I figured it out. But uh, boy, the lessons that were learned 
during that period of time I use today and coach people because of that experience. Um, so wouldn't, wouldn't change a thing. Would make it a little easier, maybe, but I wouldn't change anything in terms of the lessons learned. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think that uh, businesses understand how that promotion can impact. You know, a lot of times, I mean, you're great at what you do, but you may not have all of those skills coming in. Did they offer any kind of coaching or anything for you? No, and that was one of the things that I really recognized very quickly is that some coaching or some training really would have been helpful if I had that opportunity. So the irony of all is I did make it. I was there in that role for three years. And then I was asked to train general managers on behalf of the organization. And that's where I had the opportunity to say, listen, no one should go through what I went through. <laughs> so we're going to build this leadership school in such a way that this is really going to help people with that transition from an assistant general manager to a general manager and then beyond, of course. So to have the opportunity to do that was really amazing for me. Awesome. And so tell me about your, your business, Steinbrecher and Associates. Well, after being in that um, leadership development role for four years, the organization decided to move their headquarters to another part of the United States, which I appreciated the offer to go. Very few were even given the offer. So I was appreciative of the offer, but it was not a good move for me in so many ways. So that's when I said, you know, I can't, I'm not going to take that offer. I'm going to go ahead and step out, which took a lot of courage, by the way. Um, and start my own business. And of course, I was told this is the worst possible time to start a business. It was 1992 and the economy was not good and I could keep going. Um, and I thought, you know, actually a statement that my husband had, um, my husband at the time had said to me, really helped me kind of move that next level um, into stepping into the water and having the courage to do it. And he says, what's the worst thing that could possibly happen? Sure. I said, well, the worst thing that can possibly happen is I fail. You know, I fail at doing this. And he says, okay, well, then what would be your alternative? And I said, yeah. well, I'd go find a job. And he's like, well, isn't that your other alternative anyway? Why would you not try this? And I thought, well, that makes a whole lot of sense, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and, I, and I said, but what if I don't get the right kind of job? And that's when he said, well, okay, let's, let's play that out. What's the worst that could happen? Yeah. With that, I said, I'm flipping burgers in a hamburger joint. And he's like, okay, and knowing you how long before you're regional manager? I'm like, okay, all right, you're making a really good point. <laughs> so that helped me decide to go ahead and plunge in and start my own. And that was 29 years ago, which is awesome. shocking for me to say it even as I say it. That is awesome. Yeah, my wife, every once in a while, comes up with those little nuggets. And one thing that got me into coaching years ago, I heard uh, Dr. David Viscott on TV out in Los Angeles. And he was doing online, you know, uh, psychology or whatever. And he had a, a guy that called up and said how disappointed he was and depressed he was because of his, his business. He didn't feel like his life was where it should be. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, I just find myself not even wanting to go home. I just go down to the beach and sit there at the beach and just stare out at the ocean. Wow. And he asked him, why do you do that? He goes, well, I've always wanted to be a marine biologist. Ah. And I said, well, why do you, why not stop what you're doing and be a marine biologist? I said, I would have to go back to school for like four years, five years to get that degree. And he goes, I'm almost 50 now. Mm. And there's a pause. And David Viscott said, how old will you be if you don't go back to school? Right, right. Perfect wow. question. Perfect Absolutely. Question. Because we do, we, we say no to ourselves before That's you know, right. we get out there and stuff. So, so true. So true. Job. I love that. Great story. Good job. So how many people do you have working for you? Yes, um, so what I did from the very beginning, which turned out to be a really good strategy, unbeknownst to me at the time, was a just-in-time talent solution. So 
I decided it didn't make sense for me to carry a ton of overhead. Um, and instead, I knew I could come up with independent contractor resources, very talented people that I could tap into when I needed. And, and then when I didn't need it, I didn't have the overhead expense. And so that's what I did from the very beginning. Um, at the highest number of independent contractors I've had is 30. I'm probably about 25 today. Wow. Very cool. But yeah, I, yeah, I like that. So you can bring in the people you need, the talent you need, the specific skills you need, and you're right. not just caring a bunch of people and worrying about, <laughs> am, I, am I bringing in enough to pay everybody? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Um, and so when did the books come along? Or were they all well, part of this yeah. or... Yeah, interesting enough. So I'm rocking and rolling, you know, I'm starting my business. We started with custom design, um, leadership development and customer service solutions. So workshops, et cetera. Um, and then I got very interested in coaching because I thought, you know, when you do workshop experiences, it's so rewarding, as I mentioned earlier, to see the light bulbs go off. But boy, then that person leaves and you don't even know whatever happened there. And instead, I wanted a much more concentrated uh, approach to work with an individual one-on-one so that I could really help provide the level of service I felt like I could provide. And so I started the coaching. Well, it was one of those days when I walked out of a coaching session with an executive and I was frustrated. And I said, you know, it just doesn't have to be this difficult. If leaders would just understand, and I pulled out a piece of paper and I wrote down eight things Well, those eight things became seven things eventually. And those seven things became seven principles of heart-centered leadership. And that was my first book. Um, Published that, I mean, the first edition was back in 2003. And people said, you have completely lost your mind. You're titling a book called Heart-Centered Leadership. Like, that is never going to sell. And I said, well, I know that there may not be an appetite for that for everybody, but the problem is, is that message needs to go out. That's the issue. We're, we're having people that are making this harder than it has to be. If they just understand the service profit chain, if you take good care of your associates, they'll take good care of your customer. That's going to take care of the business. And um, so anyway, fast forward 10 years later, and my publicist said, wow, you were a decade ahead of time because now there's like 65,000 books with the word hard and leadership in its title and you were way ahead of your time. You need to re-release. And so we re-released the second edition. So all along the way, that being the first, Kensho came after that. A book collaboration with Covey and Blanchard uh, was in there in the middle as well. And then my latest is Meaningful Alignment that came out um, in May of 2019. All right. And we will get to that. I want to talk about Kensho a little bit. Talk to me about Kensho. Where did you come up with that, that title? And yeah. As you can tell, I come up with interesting titles. I love it. I, I look at, when I go to the bookstore, my wife and I go to the bookstore, we're looking for cover art that captures your attention and titles right. that you kind right. of go, wow, I like what that. What is that? So, yeah, right. No, definitely. Well, That's good. Well, we were hoping that would be the case. And, and luckily it turned out to be the case. It was an Amazon bestseller pretty quickly. Yes. Um Kensho is a Japanese word for awakening. And the reason I wanted something that was not obvious, and in fact, would ask, would beg the question, what does that even mean? That could be right or wrong when you're trying to sell, <laughs> sell a book, by the way. But I looked at it as, no, I want this to be a sort of inquisitive type of a piece. And 
the reason I put that book out, it was 2008, nine, the recession had hit, people were flipping out. Everybody's like the world has ended, which is funny now when we look back, right. <laughs> considering what we've gone through recently. Um, and I'm like, no, 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 there's a silver lining to this. Like we have to see that there's a silver lining. What an opportunity to redefine success for you, decide what's important for you. Because people were losing jobs and all kinds of things were going on and the market was crashing. Um, and so that book was all about providing inspiration and hope. So what I did is I went out in the world and interviewed people all over the world, um, literally under rocks in some cases, completely unknown, some very famous, some no one would have ever heard of, and asked them to tell their story. And each of the chapters are independent uh, read alone chapters. If you don't want to start at chapter one and you want to go to chapter 10, because that, that particular cha chapter title interests you, you can. Okay. But front to back, the collection is all about taking care of self, the planet, um, and society in terms of um, the health of society and the health of our sort of social life. And so they're all inspirational stories and it was super cool to do. I met amazing people doing that book. I bet. Very cool. And now do you use these books in your, your coaching and consulting? Yes, I do. I mean, especially heart-centered leadership, because when I'm coaching a leader and we're talking about what's your foundation core and system for who you are as a leader, determining that first and foremost, I think is really important. Kenjo, not as much, except for I've done a lot of inspirational speeches on something like that, of course. Um, now, of course, once again, kind of back in favor, like everybody's all about the, you know, the green movement. <laughs> and that was, you know, maybe a little ahead of its time again, which is great to hear. Uh, meaningful alignment, we certainly have seen, and the concept of that came seven years ago, brainstorming in a room um, and then developing a model to help people determine how are you likely to show up in a highly emotional type of conversation, an assessment with that model, developing the training, building out the book. Um, that, again, is very recent. The concept was seven years ago, and then we've been refining and piloting and, and doing everything and with a lot of customers to testing it out and uh, luckily getting really, really good response because we really felt building the skills of how to have those kind of conversations was really critical. Awesome. Yeah, having those difficult conversations, that's something uh, working with my clients, you know, trying to get them to don't shy away from it. Don't, you know, avoid it. Right. You have to have those conversations as uncomfortable as they are. They're, they're important. And alignment is something else we used to talk a lot about as uh, consultants, organizational change. If the leadership isn't aligned, right. It can cause problems all through the business and stuff. Talk to me about the meaningful alignment. What, did, what exactly are you seeing going on in, in businesses that make you bring this out and, and take them through your program? Yeah. Thank you for that. So a couple of things are going on. People lack the confidence, competence, and comfort to have these one-on-one -on -one conversations. Um, and we have to get better at that. It does take courage to step in, but we all know from experience what how things get worse when we don't mm -hmm. have the conversations. But since a lot of people don't know how to do that well, that's why they have a tendency to avoid. Um, and so we felt it was really important to build the skills of that and also deal with what we call the inside job part, which is how are you showing up in that conversation, your emotional composure and resilience, because that's critical mm -hmm. to success in this conversation. 
but also we teach skills of how to facilitate the emotions of the person you're in dialogue with. So their emotion might be rising. What can you do to influence or help um, mitigate the, the um, danger of that, if you will, get them to more of an equanimity state. If you, and so that's another part of the skill. Uh, so at a team level, what we find, and we do lots of team intervention, team alignment types of offsites, as you might imagine, um, we find the same thing. If they're not aligned, we often have personality differences. Often it's a lack of communication, a lack of understanding, assumptions and judgment are in the way. They have different viewpoints. They haven't had an opportunity to really be heard or to be open to hearing another. And so all of that, um, we, of course, factor in when we custom design those offsites. Wow. So is it usually that uh, an event has happened, something happened in the company and they say, come in and help us work with this out? Or do you do this on a proactive type basis? Um, it, a little bit of both. Okay. Um, so we do what we call a new leader assimilation. So now we have a new leader hitting a team and we want to be very proactive with that team getting aligned very quickly with that new leader. So that's a proactive position that we take. We make sure that existing team gets the questions answered, gets the things they want to say that they want this leader to be aware of, like they're really proud of a project they did or their fear of this new leader coming in. We set up a process and a way for that to be handled very respectfully, if you will. Sure. Then we bring the leader and the team together. And so we create that alignment. So that's a, a kind of a two day process, a day and a half kind of thing. When, Often what happens is the intervention. So it's not necessarily an event. It will be a series of situations, again, not addressed. Um, and then they kind of get to a threshold and they realize we're losing productivity or efficiency or we're losing market share. We're not as effective as a team as we need to be. We might be performing, but there's cracks in the system. And that's often when I'll get the call to say series of things have happened. And now that's when they're calling, which you wish they would have done it sooner, right. but that's how that typically works. Wow. Yeah. Just uh, having worked with companies before and, you know, things happen and they're kind of glossed over and things happen again, they're glossed over. And pretty soon it's just an eruption point. Exactly. And then you're trying to put all the pieces back together. It'd be exactly. so much better. Building trust could, again, yeah. which is unfortunately <laughs> trust is usually eroded at that point. Mm -hmm. so now you got to go back to the drawing board and find out ways so they can begin to build trust with one another again. Exactly. And the engagement and, and productivity when, when things get to that point, the engagement is, is over. It's like, they're not listening yes. to me. They don't care about us. I'm just a number, you know, and, and that really impacts a lot of stuff. Have you seen, or, or, Tell us maybe about one of the, the companies you work with. Have you raised their productivity and their engagement? Yeah, absolutely. So probably a, a good example and just popped in my mind as you were saying that. This happened to be a new leader or a simulation, but it was with a team that had gone through two or three previous leaders, all had promised to fix these issues. Um, so the new leader comes in, they're highly skeptical they're like, yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. So this person, the deck was completely stacked against this individual. And so it was very important that he built hope and he built immediate respect with this team because they were pretty jaded. Um, and rightfully so, frankly, I mean, for all good, for all the right reasons. And so that was one of those situations where it took some time to bring them together. Um, but after that meeting, we always follow up. We do pre-interviews with the people attending 
What are your expectations? What do you want? What, what does success look like to you in this meeting? What do you want your boss to know? And that kind of thing. And then post, how are we doing? Are we, are we the, all the things you guys came up with that meeting, all those action items, where are you on those action items? So we hold the leader accountable to those action items by following up as well as the team. So those pieces, we've certainly seen some remarkable results with that, which um, is a, it's fantastic to see because you know you're really helping move this, this team forward. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I've worked with companies before where they had a really high turnover of uh, supervisors or managers in a certain area. And you see the next manager come in, walk into yeah. the office, and of course, everybody goes, oh, here we go again. Exactly. Right? So you get that going. It's hard. I mean, it's hard to be yeah. in their shoes when you think Absolutely. about it, right? <laughs> and, you know, working with our clients, talking about conversations you have to have with your, your employees. There's certain conversations that are, they may be uncomfortable, but they're easy to have. Uh, productivity, attendance, things like that. You've had the conversation with employees before. They've had the conversation before. So you kind of know what the script is. I know what the boss is going to say. The boss knows what I'm going to say. You kind of already know where you're going to end up on the, you know, on the scale. But there are some conversations that there is no script. Right. What's one of the most difficult things you've had to, had to coach a business through? Yeah. Um, often with meaningful alignment, the skills is we provide a six step roadmap that takes them. This is how you start the conversation all the way to how do you end the conversation yeah. um, as much as one can provide a roadmap to your point, it's going to go off course. You're going to get off the road. You got to get back on. Um, but when you teach that map and they're like, okay, there's a process here. I need to be sure I'm getting each of these steps in, or it's not going to go well. And on top of it, when I spoke earlier about making sure that we're managing the emotions of the other person, if they're starting to get upset or if the trust is eroded and you have to build the trust and the connection in that conversation, because the history of previous conversations often go into this one, whether we like it or not, that's in the back of their mind, just like it's in the back of your mind, right? So um, you have to counteract all of that. So we teach four things around how do you keep that emotion neutralized? How are we showing proper respect? So often it can be a conversation with a significant other, personal conversation, not getting their needs met. People really, really fear a conversation like that because there's a lot at stake. It's, it could be, you know, the relationships and damage or could be damaged if this doesn't go well. Um, kind of thing. So coaching a leader through whether it's a business conversation with a peer where they're not aligned at all, and a lot is at stake with a company, or sometimes, obviously, when you coach a whole human being, when you're coaching somebody, and often the personal conversation comes up. I've had um, clients talk to me about they have to have a really tough conversation with their son or their daughter, because um, they are absolutely not aligned on going to college or not going to college or whatever is important to that particular parent. So no matter the situation, the process works. It's a matter of preparing properly and practicing so that they feel very confident um, to have those kind of conversations. Nice. So you do a lot of role-playing? Lots. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Absolutely. Because I'll throw, you know, how is this person probably going to respond? And I'll throw that at them and then, okay, let's stop. How did that go? How did you feel about that response? I'm being on the receiving end, I can tell you, you got me upset. That's why you saw me come back. 
here's where you added fuel to the fire, unbeknownst and certainly no poor intention, but you did. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, the role play is really important in my mind because then the brain automatically feels like I've done this, I've done this, this is going to be, you're going to build more confidence going into the role conversation when you've had some role play exactly. practice. Very cool. Very cool. So uh, as far as leadership, if I was to bump into any of your uh, past or, or current um, employees or teammates and ask them what type of leader you are. What do you think they'd say? What kind of leader um, are you? I, I think they would say a heart-centered leader. I mean, at least I would hope they would say a heart-centered leader. Um, I have high expectations. So there's no reason why you can't have high expectations and also still be a heart-centered leader. So I would say more than likely they would say that. Now, early in my career, absolutely not. That's why I made all the mistakes. <laughs> you know, that first GM job, I made a lot of mistakes. My AGM, first AGM, assistant GM job, I made a lot of mistakes. And that's when you start realizing, oh, it's about the people. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's not about just performance, but guess what? You get performance through people. Sure. Um, Absolutely. So yeah, but more recent time, I would say, hopefully they would say I'm a heart-centered leader. Yeah. So what, you're right with the heart-centered leadership. That's one thing you hear a lot. There are a lot of articles about it now. You hear a lot of people talking about it. I really like this person because they're a heart-centered leader. Give me an example of what, what heart-centered leadership is. Yeah. I mean, even in the book, I define what management is versus leadership versus heart-centered leadership. Heart-centered right. leadership is really about leading with humility, transparency, honesty, and vulnerability. Um, so yes, you have to have all the good leadership skills one needs to have. I mean, if you're not in business, nobody has a job, right? So you have to do a lot of the good business things, obviously, but this is the approach is to, is to really recognize like the seven principles, like know thyself. So own up to the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's a really courageous path because you got to look in the mirror and own that taking personal accountability and responsibility for your behavior. Um, a second principle is don't judge or assume and said, come to understand what happens is we, in our personal and professional lives, we get stuck in judgment. And when we get stuck in judgment, you can solve absolutely nothing. The problem is we don't solve anything and we actually damage the relationship. So that's an important concept to go. Let me step back a moment instead of immediately going into judgment or assumption about why this person did what they did. Why can't I shift and say, how is it possible that happened? Be inquisitive instead. Hmm. I wonder what's happening. I'd like to find out more. That's a whole different approach yeah. than coming in with Johnny's been bad. Johnny knows he's been bad. I'm going to sit down and tell Johnny he's been bad. Well, Johnny probably knows you messed up. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. You know, um, we also have a principle called letting go as part of heart center leadership. How do you not micromanage and power and step back and allow some of those mistakes to happen? Awesome. Um, taking care of self. There's seven total principles there, but you, you get the idea. <laughs> sure. Absolutely. But I, every one of those things, like you said, that takes courage. You have to be in the right place as a leader to yes. be able to set aside the emotion, to set aside long held beliefs or whatever it is to make room for that conversation to happen. Exactly. Mm -hmm. um, but that's reminding me of us in our executive coaching um, I've created a proprietary system that I found has really, really, really provided an ROI, you know, your return on investment for the coaching dollar, which is very important because coaching is expensive and it's time consuming. So you've got to make sure you're getting a return. And in that process, we identify through a client's life story. We have, we basically go through a series of questions, to understand 
who they are, life experiences, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And we, from that, we adopt or what we pull out, I would say, are what we call some key mental models. Okay. But this mental model service and don't serve us very well. Those are the core beliefs that we've taken on due to those experiences. Um, and so by able, being able to identify those mental models and those belief systems, we're able to, with about a 95% correlation, show how, they're, how that's ingrained in their leadership style and that we can ver- verify that with a 360 assessment. So we can see the kinds of things that those belief systems are causing behavior-wise is highly correlated to the 360 feedback these folks are getting. And that's when they realize, oh, those particular situations that happened to me when I was three or four years old are showing up today. I thought that was history. No, it's ingrained in your leadership style. And you're taking it out on these people. Yes, you're using it more than you know. (laughs) Absolutely. Very cool. So let's let's go ahead and start talking about um, courage. Where did you find the courage to step out and, and do things on your own. You know, a lot of people are, are comfortable in the nine to five, let somebody else make the decisions, let somebody else take the stress. You had an opportunity and you said, yeah. no, I think I want to do this. Right. Where'd you get the courage? You know, I, th- I think my husband was instrumental by putting it into more practical terms when he said, what's the worst that can happen? Why don't you go for it? Um, but You know, it's interesting. I've been one of those people that I will be cautious and calculating on making certain decisions. Like I want a lot of data or or facts. Um, But I just had, this is probably not the answer you want to hear, but I just had a knowingness inside Mm -hmm. that it was, it was just to trust myself that this is going to be fine. Like just, just try it. And I got immediate validation that was the right decision because the first thing I did was just to reach out to people I knew. One of those former people, uh, one of those individuals was a former HR person that I had when I was that young general manager was the HR um, vice president of our organization. I said, oh, by the way, I'm going to be doing this. and I'm not quite sure how this is going to go, but it will be leadership development. And that led to a meeting with the president of a company. And that led to my first proposal and that led to three years of work on my first day. Wow. So that doesn't happen. And I know that doesn't happen, but I immediately were like, oh my gosh, I better get started. (laughs) (laughs) So I was closing out the day job as I was designing leadership development program for him at night um, to just be sure I could meet his deliverables. But he knew my situation, so there was certainly some latitude there, but that I that was in a 10-year client. Like that was crazy. That is awesome. um, so I felt like I just needed to take the step and trust myself that this was going to be okay. And if not, I can pull back and go find quote unquote the job. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean it had to be scary to some degree, right? Not very knowing- how this is going to work, walking up and knocking on a door and having that door closed on you and things like that. That's what people have to deal with all the time. Did you have a a role model or somebody that you saw do something like this and say, well, if they can do it, I can do it. Um, I can't say I had one in mind as I was thinking, if this person could do it, I could do it. I just felt like it was worth the effort to try it. And it was a big adjustment. I mean, I went from, you know, fast tracking in the, in, in the hospitality industry and I was, my fear was about, well, what if I fail? And then, gosh, you know, am I, 
I'm taking a risk on something when I could continue this trajectory up and, you know, eventually be a big, a big wig, hopefully, you know, senior executive level person eventually. Um, but it just felt right. And, you know, often when people have come to me and said, you know, what did you do or how did you make that decision? Um, I also, or what advice would I give them? I always say, you know, get your house in order because your house in order provides freedom. And what I mean by that is I had no debt. (laughs) Um, I could go a little while without income if I really had to. And not everybody's in that position. And I completely get that. That made that a bit easier for sure. But what I also did to, to make this more comfortable is I went out to companies that basically I hired, vendors I hired, and said, do you need independent contractors? Like I could be a contractor for you while I was trying to build my own business. And they're like, well, yeah, we'd love for you to be a contractor for me. So I kind of pad the deck a little bit to have a baseline of work. Um, And I recommend that too. I mean, when you're first starting and that, that helped me build a client base and it helped me have some business coming in until I could figure out how to build my own. Nice. Very cool. So of the, of the different types of courage, is there a type of courage that maybe is easier for you? Yeah, I mean, there's so many labels to that and so many things I think are needed. But I would say um, for sure, one of the things, discipline type of courage and intellectual type of courage, the discipline, I mean that by really sort of having the tenacity, perseverance, strategy to keep going. (laughs) Um, When you think about it, I'm very proud of the fact that we're 29 years in, we've gone through recessions, we've gone through COVID, we've gone, you know, and it kept saying, you know, one step in front of the other, I don't know what that's going to look like, but what can I do? Um, The intellectual courage to me is about, are you willing to learn new things? Are you researching? Are you finding a new way? Um, And we had to take everything we did and flip it quickly Um, from in-house workshops, which is what we were doing, you know, in a classroom um, and flip that to a virtual space. And we had just launched Meaningful Alignment and we had just fine-tuned the classroom experience when you think about it. And I resisted my, that was not a good idea on my part. I resisted the virtual and the e-learning for years and years and years. And I thought, you're not going to have the same experience. Well, Luckily, December of 2019, I, I kept saying, listen, we're, I know we're a decade or two behind everybody else, but we really do need to figure out how to take this stuff to a virtual space. So we had started the process in December of 2019 so that by the time COVID hit, we, were, we already flipped it to a virtual experience in a couple of months where a lot of people were not able to do that that fast. So that helped a lot. Um, and as soon as we went to clients and said, oh, well, we can do this for you virtually. Really? We're in. So I was like, thank <laughs> Coaching always was done primarily over the phone. That was not really changing, but budget stopped completely. So I used the opportunity to say, how do I want to reinvent? What does my future look like? What do I want this organization to be? learning a lot about how do you do virtual and do that well, because I'd seen a lot of garbage. I'm like, I don't want to sign up for that. Like we got to figure out how to do this really well. Right. And a lot of businesses are finding out now, Hey, our people can actually be productive remotely. 
So yes. their business model is changing. A lot of businesses are getting rid of their, their brick and mortar offices and stores. Um, what, what type of, of skills will these leaders need to uh, learn or, or brush up on in order to manage in this remote environment? Yeah, thank you for that because we and me, I immediately ask clients, what are you struggling with? What are your issues? Because I wanted to feel, I wanted to find out from them what they were saying. And they were all saying, we need to figure out how to keep our people engaged. Um, and so we built out a workshop for a client. I mean, literally overnight, how to engage your, your employees in a virtual environment. We did all the research. We figured out there were some technical things one could do more effectively. Like if we're using a Zoom platform, how do you keep it engaging by using polls or breakout rooms or things like that? We also had to learn different platforms and be able to say, well, if you're on Microsoft Teams, you got to go down this path. And this is what the capability for Zoom is versus Microsoft Teams or others. Um, we also knew there was the whole leadership aspect. So how engaged are you as a leader? How are you showing up? Are you on camera, off camera? Well, you have to be on camera. Yeah. They all have to be on camera or you're, they're just not going to be engaged um, because it gives them an excuse to multitask or be on their phone or do whatever on the chat you know, feature or on their um, text messaging, I mean, on the phone. And so anyway, so we approached that on both sides and we did, we did help them build that capability very quickly because they, they were just stuck with it overnight as we all were. <laughs> well, and the communication is huge. You have to be able to clearly communicate these, this is the vision. This is the purpose. This is what I need done. Uh, delegate, yes. say, here's, here's the result I'm after. I need it by the end of the week. And then trust, you can't be looking over their shoulder. You can't be calling them every right. five minutes. What are you doing? What are you doing? Right? Yeah. And not only that, the biggest message we sent um, and we wanted our leaders to really understand is that you have to have some empathy and compassion because everybody's in a different situation. We all know we had some folks that they don't have a home set up for a private home office and they have sometimes two parents and two kids trying to go school in the kitchen table. Like not everyone's going to have your potential setup. So you've got to recognize that. So asking them, how are you doing? What struggles are you having? How can I be of help? What do you need from me? That was really important to get leaders to understand. And when they did that, they built that trust and that connection and people were more engaged as a result of that. Very cool. Um, so you offer these programs for companies. Do you offer these for just the general public? Can people sign up to, to take courses? Yeah, we've done that now and then. That's a, honestly, that's a much harder proposition for us to work because that takes 10 times the work than if we can go into a company and basically um, have teams go through it. So we more, we're more apt to do that, but we've certainly done the other sometimes yeah. too. Yeah, I, I'm thinking this heart-centered leadership would be a good conversation to have. There's a lot of businesses that could definitely, definitely use that. Yes. So you said earlier, if you had it to do all over again, you wouldn't change anything. Yeah. I mean, I feel like at the very beginning, I, because I was in the doing instantly, I had one of the lessons I probably learned and that I realized would have helped me. Well, I was really moving really, really fast, but I wasn't very strategic at all. Um, I was just taking the order or I was like, I just need business. And I was just calling people. I think had I stepped back and said, 
get really clear on who is the ideal customer, the whole sort of sales strategy piece. I didn't do very well at all, or marketing strategy piece. I didn't do very well. I've really fumbled along the way. And I think I could have saved a lot of money and time and effort had I really just set that ground from the very beginning. That, that would be something I'd recommend that I would do different in that case. Yeah. In fact, I'm putting together a program called Ditch the Chaos. Because yes. so many people are feeling that chaotic. And a lot of it we do to ourselves. Simplify, strategize, yes. systematize, right? Love that. Yeah. That's that's spot on. <laughs> I needed a lot of that in the very beginning. I but you know, we all need to look at that again. I would I could use that again today because we're reinventing, we're constantly reinventing. So well, that's it, that pivot that everybody talked about during COVID. You know, you yep. have to be able to move in the direction your clients, your customers need. Right? Yep. Absolutely. Awesome. So if people wanted to get in touch with you, how can they find you? What's your, your website? Yeah. So steinbrecher.com. So S-T-E-I-N-B-R-E-C-H-E-R. My last name, steinbrecher.com is kind of our global big website. Uh, meaningfulalignment.com for those that specifically have interest in that work, but you can still get there through steinbrecher.com as well. Excellent. And then your books, are they available off your website? Uh, off the website as well as Amazon. At Amazon. Perfect. I will have all of those links in the show notes so people can get in touch with you. This has been amazing. I would love to have you back on again because I, there's so much more we could talk about. I just, we didn't get really into culture. I would love to talk more about culture yeah, and the impacts too. on culture. And um, yeah, this would be great. Thank you so much. Thank you, Harlan. I really appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity. <laughs> no, anytime. This is great. And listeners, hope you guys were taking notes because there's some definitely good uh, takeaways from here. Uh, check out the website, check out the books. And uh, yeah, if you enjoyed this episode, make sure you share it with your family, friends, and colleagues and stay tuned because there's always more coming. That's it for me, Coach Harlan saying so long for now.